Slap my high teen and say, I don't know about you, but I'm shouting hallelujah. Look back at him and say, I don't know about you, but I'm armed and dangerous. You gotta be careful when you sit next to me. Don't you wish you could dance like that and still breathe through it? God is a God of miracles. If you go to a good church, you really have no need to work out during the week. Because you guaranteed for one good workout every seven days. And if you happen to show up at CR or First Wednesday or music and arts rehearsal on Thursday, you could get about four workouts a week. Ask me how I know. I find myself sitting at my desk and I'm like they're in there rehearsing. I got to go in the back of the sanctuary. Well, some of you Tennessee boys and girls and Georgia boys and girls and Alabama boys and girls and have probably heard the term double-barrel shotgun. Well, today we have a four-barrel shotgun. We're going to have some help doing this message today. We just want to talk to you for a few minutes about living free. Anybody want to live free? I do want to tell you that freedom is never free. Somebody has paid a price for us to be able to come into this sanctuary and worship freely. I will go on to say if we don't continue to pay the price... It's already been tried one time, pretty successfully, I might add. So do not be dismayed, but as for me and my house and as for me and this church, we do not conform. We played nice for about six weeks, playing nice is over. But somebody has to pay a price for, for freedom. In 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20, we read these words. Don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God? There are some folks in America who need to read that statement. It needs to be on every billboard on every highway. If I had the funds to do it, I'd buy every billboard in America and say, Dear fools, please read 1 Corinthians 6. Do you not realize that your body is not yours? To decide what gender you are. To decide what you put in it or put on it. You do not belong to yourself. Wow. You do not belong to yourself. For God bought you with a high price. So you must honor God with your body. Wow. 
Living free begins with learning to live by principles and not by fleshly feelings. Your emotions will lie to you every time. You know, you, God delivers you out of a situation and we start remembering the good moments and we go right back into bondage. Take that person back that abused us. And they haven't changed one ounce. They've just gotten real good and drunk and promised you in a drunken stupor they won't ever do it again. And see, drunken stupors happen all the time. Drunken stupors happen emotionally, financially. Oh, I won't do it again. I'm sorry. We're living by feelings and not by principles. You may never be rewarded for your strengths. Somebody say, well, that hurts. But you will always be disqualified for your weaknesses. See, we're in a society that gives participation awards. I'm all about for a participation award. That's great. You put an effort forth. Get recognition for at least trying. But the one who pays the price should get the prize. And they're about to start a war in America because they have messed with women's sports. You know, what I want to say to those male humans... You weren't strong enough and man enough to compete with the men. So you want to come over here and steal our trophies. Now let me tell you how God created the sexes. The man that I am married to has more brute strength than I do. But I can outmaneuver him mentally about every day. That's why Adam took that apple. So he recognizes my strengths and I recognize his. You know, if I'm on a football team with him, he can mow me down. But I might trip him before he gets there. <laughs> but if I'm in a swimming competition, he'll beat me to the end of the pool because he has more brute strength than I do. So I just want to say, stay in your own lane. If you're not man enough to compete, get out of competition. The war is on. And, you know, and it's on the other side of the fence. Like, you know, I know there are girls who play football, and I'm like, why do you want to put on a helmet and let them beat the stew out of you? Why? You know, whatever. I think it's all a little crazy. See, we want to be rewarded for our strong points. But if we don't confront our weak points... We always blame somebody else. Always blame somebody else. See, living his way is our reasonable service. Shouldn't get an award. You know, we have a joke around our house. And, and most men live by this code of ethics. You know, if I unload the dishwasher, you should applaud me. Um, your dishes are in there. 
This is a joint team. Your underwear is in the same washing machine with mine. So this is a team effort because most houses are double incomes. You know, we have gone past the days where the woman just gets to stay home. Now, if I want to be a stay-at-home, I want to be a stay-at-home, not a stay-at-home mom. Because if you're a stay-at-home mom, you're working 24-7. So, you know, I want, you want to be a kept woman, you get to stay home and not work. God bless those of you who get to do that. Romans 12:1 says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you, again, present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. So why do we seek applause for serving God? Living a holy life is our reasonable service to God. Living His way is the foundation, the beginning foundation of the blessed life. A lack of character will always cause spiritual miscarriage. Proverbs 10, 9 says, People with integrity walk safely, but those who follow crooked paths will be exposed. See, God cannot do anything about our future if we're not man and woman enough to deal with our present. We've got to live to please Him. See, when you say, I, I want to be free, what are you willing to let go of? What are you holding on to? You know, there's some things. When, when God starts calling you higher, the Bible says to whom much is given, much is required. So don't pray for him to anoint you. Don't pray for him to bless you in any realm of your life unless you're willing to let go of some stuff. What are you hanging? Well, you know, my sister can do that. She may be okay. She ain't going nowhere in God. Well, my friend does that. Well, baby, your friend's living a defeated life too. So what are you holding on to that helps your feelings and feeds your flesh? What are you willing to let go of and are you willing to hang on to accountability at all costs? I will, I've told you often, accountability is always, always, always the right answer in your life. Galatians 5.1 says, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm. And do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery, a yoke of bondage. I want to tell you, America is the greatest nation on the face of the earth. But currently we're living on the foundation of our great, 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 great grandfathers. And if some of us don't get an anointing to stand, we will lose our freedom. Slap somebody a high five and say freedom is never free. And tell them reconciliation is necessary. Reconciliation is necessary. 
some of us are not living free because we're still carrying the pain of the past. We desperately hold on to a grudge trying to prove a point, whatever that point is. But the truth is, you don't hold a grudge. A grudge holds you. And what I mean is, is we're held hostage by a leash around our souls called unforgiveness. And this leash keeps jerking us back. It could be something that happened in your childhood. Maybe a spouse walked out on you. They left you. They cheated on you. Maybe you were forsaken, forgotten, neglected, rejected, abused, used, mistreated, lied on, talked about, looked over, wrongly fired. It could be a multitude of things. But in order to live free, reconciliation is necessary. But I want to start by talking about the difference between forgiveness and reconciliation. Forgiveness only requires one, one person. You don't have to agree on the issue. You don't have to agree on perspectives. You don't even have to have a conversation. Forgiveness happens without the involvement of the other party. They didn't ask for it. They didn't request it. They didn't repent. You may say, well, why would I forgive somebody who didn't even ask me for forgiveness? And the answer is simple. Unforgiveness holds us hostage. In Mark chapter 11, verse 24 through 26, Jesus says, I tell you, you can pray for anything. And if you believe that you've received it, it will be yours. But, everybody say but. When you are praying, first forgive anyone you are holding a grudge against so that your Father in heaven will forgive your sins too. But if you refuse to forgive, that tells me it's a choice. Your Father in heaven will not forgive your sins. Some of us, our prayers are not being answered because there are still people we have not forgiven. When God says forgive, I want to clarify. When he tells us to forgive, he's not saying that what they did to you was okay. Give them permission to do it again. He's not saying go back in relationship with them and allow them to continue to hurt you. When God says forgive, he's saying live free. Free yourself by letting go of rage and anger and bitterness and thoughts of revenge and pain. Let it go. Because if we do not forgive, we are quite literally poisoning ourselves. Hating a person who hurt you or wronged you is like drinking poison hoping they will die. I don't know about you, but I'm smarter than that. We walk around broken, pitiful, our head hung low, full of pain, sad, and sorrow, not enjoying life, unable to keep a healthy relationship, angry and bitter, walls are up, guarded, we don't trust anybody, hating our lives, and yet they're walking around living their best, blessed life. We're tossing and turning in our beds at night, unable to get a good night's sleep because we're repeatedly rehearsing in our heads the argument, the conversation, the disagreement, the frustration, how angry. Can you believe she said that to me? Well, when I see her next, I'm going to say that to her. We're tossing and turning in our bed at night, unable to sleep, and yet they're laying down sleeping like a baby. That's why forgiveness is not about anybody else but you. It is for you. 
Now, reconciliation is a totally different thing. Reconciliation requires two. You have to have two to reconcile. You and another person. You and God. You and your own thoughts, feelings, beliefs, perspectives. Reconciliation happens when two parties who are separated or divided come together to form an agreement for going forward. So in order for you and me to be reconciled, we've got to agree on where we're going and how we're going to get there. Reconciliation happens when the offender faces the truth of where they are and how they got there. They confess it, they repent, and then they make changes to restore what was broken. So if we're going to live free, reconciliation with God is absolutely necessary. Reconciliation with God frees us from sin. When you are reconciled with God, you are in agreement with God. You are in agreement with his will, his plan, his purpose for your life. You're in agreement with his word and his standard for living. You agree to walk, talk, think, act, live differently. Because the way you used to walk, talk, think, and act before is what separated you from him in the first place. True reconciliation isn't confessing, repenting, and then living however you want to live. True reconciliation with God is a humble heart and a changed life. It's acknowledging that my way was wrong, so I'm going to go another way. In 2 Corinthians 5, 17 through 20, it says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old is gone, the new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. So we were reconciled to reconcile. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Be reconciled to God. If my life does not look any different now than it did when I first was saved, then I've got some serious evaluating to do. Because if I'm truly walking in reconciliation or in agreement with God, the old is gone, the new is here. That means my behavior, my beliefs, my thoughts, my actions, my words, they've completely changed. Matthew 3, 8 says, prove by the way you live that you have repented of your sins and turned to God. That means change is the proof of reconciliation. Not only is reconciliation with God necessary, but if we're going to live free, reconciliation with self is necessary. Reconciliation with self frees you from comparison, low self-esteem, depression, negative mindsets, and regret. To reconcile with self is to accept a situation or a fact even if you don't like it. That means you face the truth. And the truth is we've all said things we shouldn't have said. We've all gone places we shouldn't have gone. We've all done things we shouldn't have done. We've all thought things we shouldn't have thought. We have all allowed and accommodated things that dishonor who we are. We have all behaved in ways that dishonor whose we are. So if we're going to reconcile with ourselves, we got to confess it. We have to repent for it. We have to forgive ourselves. You don't beat yourself up for it repeatedly. You forgive yourself, and then you make changes. You don't keep on doing the same old thing the same old way. You make changes, and you go forward. 
In Philippians chapter 3, verse 12, it says, I don't mean to say that I have already achieved these things or that I've already reached perfection, but I press on to possess that perfection for which Christ Jesus first possessed me. No, dear brothers and sisters, I have not achieved it, but I focus on this one thing, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which, Christ, for which God, through Christ Jesus, is calling us. We are not living free if we are constantly bound by regret for the mistakes we keep on making. We must choose to change our behavior and go forward. We are not living free if we are constantly bound by low self-esteem and low self-worth that causes us to compare ourselves to everybody else. No, we have got to have the right view of who we are. We got to know who we are and whose we and whose we are. We got to know what he's called us to do and who he's called us to be and walk confidently in that calling and go forward. We are not living free if we are bound by negative mindsets. If you can't change the way you think, you will never change your life. So it's about making changes to yourself, going forward and being the best you that you can be. Not only is reconciliation with God and self necessary, but if we're going to live free, reconciliation with others is necessary. Now, this is the fun one. Reconciliation with others frees you from anger, bitterness, grudge holding, fear, anxiety, a whole myriad of things. If anyone in the Bible had the right to be angry, bitter, or hold a grudge, it was Joseph. We all know the story of Joseph and the coat of many colors. We learned it in Bible school. He had a dysfunctional family. He had a dysfunctional father. He had brothers who put him in a pit and then sold him into slavery. He then had his master's wife seduce him and lie on him. Then his master unjustly threw him in jail. And then the friends that he made in jail told him they'd tell Pharaoh about him and forgot all about him when they got out. Now, there will be times that reconciliation isn't possible because the other party is too toxic to acknowledge their own wrong and are not willing to make it right so that the, so that the relationship is safe ground. Amos 3.3, how can two walk together unless they agree? But when reconciliation is possible, how do we do it? Joseph's story in Genesis chapter 37 through chapter 50 teaches us how to reconcile with others, whether we're the offender or we are the offended. Now, we don't have time to go over the entire story, but I'm going to go over a couple of highlights. In Genesis chapter 45, verse 1, it says, Joseph could stand it no longer. There were many people in the room, and he said to his attendants, out, all of you. So he was alone with his brothers when he told them who he was. Here we find Joseph sitting at the dinner table with his brothers who greatly wronged him. And he couldn't take it anymore. He had to confront them. So what did he do? He sent all of the Egyptians out of the room so he could confront them. You know that you are serious about reconciliation when you don't bring other people in who have nothing to do with the offense. They can't help you fix it, and they can't give you any wisdom on how to fix it. Joseph told the Egyptians, y'all get out of here. I can't take it anymore. I got to talk to my brothers. You don't have a say in this. You don't have a dog in this hunt. You don't have a horse in this race. You can't help me fix it. You have no wisdom to give me. I don't want to hear what you've got to say. I need to confront them. Get out. 
You're not serious about reconciliation when you gossip and bring other people into it who cannot help you, are not involved in it, and cannot give you wisdom on how to fix it. What you're actually doing is you're trying to build an army because you're seeking vengeance. Joseph was able to let go of vengeance because he changed his perspective. Now look at verse 5. He tells his brothers, don't be upset and don't be angry with yourselves for selling me to this place. It was God who sent me here ahead of you. In this moment, Joseph stopped telling the same old sad, sorry story. He stopped telling it. He didn't rehearse, woe is me, my brothers were jealous of me. Woe is me, they threw me in a pit. Woe is me, they, they sold me into slavery. Woe is me, my master's wife seduced me and told a lie on me. Woe is me, my master wrongly threw me in jail. Woe is me, my friends forgot me when I was in jail. Woe is me, why, 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 my life sucks. I, it didn't go my way. Yeah, 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 I'm so broken. Look what they did to me. He stopped telling the same old sad story. He interrupted the story by changing his perspective. And the way, you the way he was able to change his perspective was because he had the right view of who God is and how God operates. He knew that God takes our great mess and turns it into greatness. He knew that God takes what the enemy means for evil and he turns it for our good. He knew that God takes their wrong and uses it to promote us to where he wants us to be. But if you do not have that view of God, then you walk around seeking your own vengeance. Now, let me make it plain. God believes in payback, but he believes in it his way, in his time, and without our help. All right? Romans 12, verse 17. Never pay back evil with more evil. Do things in such a way that everyone can see you are honorable. Do all that you can to live in peace with everyone. Dear friends, never take revenge. Leave that to the righteous anger of God. And I love it because Paul then goes on to quote Deuteronomy 32.5 where the Lord says, I will take revenge. I will pay them back. In due time, their feet will slip. Their day of disaster will arrive and their destiny will overtake them. That's a promise. That's a promise. And if you read Joseph's story in Genesis 37 through, through chapter 50, you'll see in chapter 38 that there's a break in the story where we see his brother Judah's life completely falls apart and unravels at the seams. Judah paid a price for what he did to his brother. Now, what set Joseph up to forgive and seek rec reconciliation is in Genesis 41. Joseph has two sons. In Genesis 41, verse 51 through 52, it says, Joseph named his older son Manasseh, for he said, God has made me forget all my troubles and everyone in my father's family. Joseph named his second son Ephraim, for he said, God has made me fruitful in this land of my grief. God set him up for reconciliation by giving him another family. Remember, it was his family that jacked him up and set his life on a course of pain and brokenness. And the way that Joseph kept reminding himself that he was no longer attached to that family or attached to the pain or the brokenness or the wrong that they did to him was in the naming of his kids. So if you want to get over the past, do what Joseph did. Have a baby. 
I'm serious. Have a baby. Get spiritually pregnant and have a baby. And when you birth it, name it Manasseh. God has helped me to forget my troubles. You need to birth something in your life that is a daily ongoing reminder that you can overcome the pain. And then don't stop there, but take it a step further and birth you a second baby in your life. Something that is a reminder that I may not like where I am or where I've been, but look how good and faithful my God has been to me. You look at Manasseh and then you turn and look at Ephraim. That happened to me yesterday, but look what God is doing for me and through me today. It's not about, it's not about excusing the pain. It's about releasing you from the pain so you are free to be fruitful in the place you never expected you would be. You never expected that you would be out of that career. You never expected that they would leave you or you'd be a single parent. You never expected you would be where you are, but God has made you fruitful where he has you. So do me and yourself a favor today. Go out and have two babies. I can't wait to see your bundles of joy in March or April 2024. That was good. He was so worried. He was jealous that Pastor Rita gave me endurance to talk about. And now I'm, I'm nervous. In order to live freely, endurance is a must. At some point in our lives, we are going to have to endure attacks from the enemy. Those attacks may come in the form of, you know, temptations, um, mind games, relationship issues, um, even death. And those attacks from the enemy is what he uses to bind us. Endurance is the ability of an organism to resist, withstand, and recover from, and have immunity to trauma, wounds, or fatigue. Endurance is withstanding an unpleasant or difficult process or situation without giving way. So how do we activate our endurance? If I have any gamers out there, you know that you know, when you're in the heat of the game, the intensity is increasing. You've been playing this game for three days. You've not gotten up to really go to the bathroom unless it was an emergency situation. You're living off of energy drinks and chips and candy. And when you're almost at the end of your virtual life, you switch into endurance mode. For people who don't play games, endurance mode is when the player is allowed to test their skills and build against any increasing siege that may be coming to them. Unlike a video game, we as Christians have to live in endurance mode. We don't get to just turn it on and turn it off. We have to stay there. So how do we do that? I've got two words for you to memorize today. The first word is resist. The second is withstand. Resist. Like Pastor Rita said, freedom ain't free. In order to live in endurance mode and maintain our freedom, we're going to have to learn how to resist temptation. 1 Corinthians 10.13 says, The temptations in your life are no different from what others experience. You're not the first person to have temptation. And God is faithful. He will not allow the temptation to be more than you can stand. 
That doesn't mean that you won't have temptation. He won't let the temptation be more than you can stand. But when you are tempted, he will show you a way out so that you can endure. But in order to be shown, you're going to have to be looking for it. Resisting temptation activates your endurance. Enduring and overcoming temptations has been happening for generations. Your mom was doing it. Your daddy's been doing it. Your grandma, your great-granny, your great-great-great-great-grandfather, our founding fathers, everyone has been enduring temptations for generations. We're not the first person, and we will not be the last person to experience and endure temptation. The temptation that you endure today may not be the one that you endured yesterday, and it's definitely not going to be the one that you endure tomorrow because the enemy is looking for new ways to tempt you. So what he did yesterday is not going to work tomorrow. Because if you were looking for a way out, if you were looking for a relief from that temptation, you found it, so he's got to look for something new. But your temptations are going to be the same that everybody else faced. So there is a way out. But let me be real with you for just a second. Take off your offense. Just set it to the side. Your inability to resist temptation is selfishness. Your inability to resist temptations is selfish. And let me tell you why. Giving in to temptation instead of resisting temptation, communicates that you lack the smallest bit of consideration for what is best for yourself and are more concerned about your personal pleasure. (laughs) When you're driving past the gas station or the liquor store and that voice in your head says, you know, just pull in. Grab that 40 of Old English from the cooler or get that pack of Newports. Better yet, grab the two-pack of wine-flavored, wood-tipped, black and milds from behind the counter. Nobody's going to know. You've got to tell hell to shut up. And you don't get out of your car. You keep on driving. How do I know? Because I've been there. When you open your phone's web browser... Or you open your laptop and you feel like, "Mm, just one video. Because, you know, you still have that Pornhub account that you pay for every month. So why would I let it go to waste? I'm telling you because I know. Men aren't the only people who struggle with porn addiction. You've got to shut off your phone. You've got to shut your computer down. You really have to get rid of that subscription. And you've got to tell the devil and all his minions to get back to hell where they belong because you are resisting temptation. You are enduring. When you feel like just one hit from that blunt that you have in your pocket right now. Or just one more of the the pills from the script that you didn't finish is going to help you get through the hell that you're facing. It's going to help you get to hell. You've got to tell the devil to shut the hell up and go back where he belongs. 
when you are Netflix and chilling, and the chilling becomes too chill, when the chilling gets heavy and turns horizontal, I know, honey, it's real hard in the heat of the moment to button your shirt back up, to stand up off the couch. If you were even on the couch, Netflix and chilling, maybe you were chilling in the bed where you shouldn't be. You are going to have to learn how to tell the devil to leave you alone, to go back to hell where he belongs, and to endure the temptation by resisting the temptation that the devil throws you. Newsflash, you can do hard things. You can do hard things. You want to know how? Because the word of the Lord says, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. But some of you may be thinking, you know, she really doesn't know. Let me, let me testify for just a second. I grew up in a Christian home. Every single person in my family is an ordained minister. My parents have spent the last 13 years of their lives on the mission field. But when I was 11 and my parents would go to bed, I would watch Cinemax pornography on the TV at night. 11. 11. When I was 13... I began chatting online with men um, all over the world because, you know, the Internet, the, nobody was really, you know, putting the, the child locks on stuff yet. Um, and I was talking about things that I should not be talking about as an adult. When I was 16, I began smoking anything that would burn, anything that would burn. And I kept a bottle of, well, a water bottle in my locker at school filled with alcohol. And I drank it every day. When I was 18, by the time I had turned 18, I'd had alcohol poisoning three times. But when I was 19, this guy on the front row invited me to visit his church. And I came and I sat in the back row because I wanted to hide. Because I knew how horrible of a life I had lived. I knew how horrible of a person I had been to him, let alone myself. But week after week after week, I kept coming back. And then even though I was still struggling with temptation, even though every day I was having to tell myself, Olivia, you don't need those drugs. Olivia, you don't need that alcohol. They still use the gifts that God had given me. And one day, when I was actively using my gifts and I was standing on this stage, I felt the chains of addiction break off of my body. I felt the condemnation leave my life. I felt the shame and the guilt. I felt the dirtiness just leave me. And it was in that moment that I knew I had to resist. I couldn't make the same choices anymore. I couldn't let the temptations overcome me anymore. I had to resist the temptation and I knew that I could do it because the word says that I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. So I want you to repeat after me. I can do the big things, the small things, the easy things, 
the hard things, all things through Christ who gives me strength. The next thing is to withstand. To withstand something means to strongly resist and remain undamaged and unaffected. As followers of Jesus, we will face opposition. Because we have chosen to live God's way, holy, set apart, we will have to deal with people who don't like us for that very reason. And you know, when we're not living for God, people not liking us, it doesn't matter. You know, we're not so in our feelings when we're living in the world and people don't like us because we can find other people that will like us. But when you turn to Christ and you start living set apart, your offense rises up when people don't like you because you chose to follow God. But baby, the Bible says that persecution is promised. So when you accept the calling of Christ on your life, persecution comes with it. Jesus told us in John 15 that if they persecuted him, they will persecute us. The question right now is, as the body of Christ, what are we willing to do to withstand the persecution to protect our freedom? Are you feeling uncomfortable? Are you feeling a little mm, resistance rising up? I'm not about to let them talk bad about me. Yes, you are. I'm not about, about to let them talk about what I believe in. Yes, you are. You are because you have to because it comes with the calling. It comes with the price of freedom. You have to be unaffected. Unaffected. You must endure. You must withstand. You must strongly resist. You must remain unaffected because when we become affected by the things that people are saying, people, that it doesn't matter what they say then we're unable to withstand, we're unable to endure what we're required to. You're going to have to check yourself before you wreck yourself. Matthew 24, 13 tells us that he who endures until the end shall be saved. Romans 5, 3 through 4 tells us that our perseverance will produce character. What kind of character are you producing? Do you even have any? Hebrews 12, 2 tells us that we do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith because of the joy awaiting him. He endured the cross, disregarding its shame. And now he is seated in the place of honor beside God's throne. James 1, 2 through 4 tells us to consider the troubles that may come as an opportunity for great joy. Because we know that when our faith is tested, our endurance has a chance to grow. The Lord endured the cross for our freedom. The least, the very least we can do is to endure for him. Because I don't know anybody in this room who's dying for somebody else. I may die for my baby, may, because I'm selfish on the inside, you know? I'm just being honest. I love my baby. 
I fought seven years to have him. But when push comes to shove, what are you really willing to do? I'm going to leave you with this. Frederick Douglass said this. If there is no struggle, there is no progress. Those who profess to favor freedom and yet deprecate agitation are men who want crops without plowing up the ground. They want rain without thunder and lightning. They want the ocean without the awful roar of its many waters. You simply cannot live freely without having endurance. Turn to your neighbor and say, she's our youth pastor. You want your kids to be taught by her. <clears throat> she's going to help them get to heaven. She's going to help them establish character. She's going to help them be men and women of God. They're in the right place. Get your kids here. Amen. Well, I identify... as a, a threat, a warrior. My pronouns are, don't try me. And I have been assigned the E in free, the last E in free, to encourage yourself. Because when you realize freedom is never free, when you realize you've got to reconcile with some folks, some peeps, when you recognize that you have to endure some things, you're going to need to encourage yourself. I wish I could get some help over there right about then. There it comes. You have to encourage yourself. Some folks are not, they, they don't live encouraged. Some folks have to fight it more than others. Now, some folks, they're just always bouncing off the walls. They're always on the top. They're always smiling. They're always laughing. They're always happy. However, a smile hides a lot of pain. I need to say that again. A smile hides a lot of pain. So I want to tell you, if you're going to have freedom, if we're going to live in freedom, and we live in the greatest nation of the world with freedom, and thank God for the freedom, thank God for the price that has been paid, thank God for the warriors, the soldiers that have fought for many years, that have fought for our freedom and paid the price and been in service. I thank God for them. I pray for those that are deployed now, wherever they might be around the world or even in this country. Domestically, I pray for their protection, their safety, and their safe return in Jesus' name. But even with all of that, we have to learn to encourage ourselves in the Lord. I want to tell you some ways that we can encourage ourselves. We can encourage ourselves because we know from the word of God that God himself thought you were worth saving. If I could sing like Adam Aziz, I would sing. He thought you were worth saving. I can't sing like him, so I won't sing that. 
but if I could sing, I would sing. He thought you were worth saving. And the verse that we need to all memorize, if you don't have it memorized, it's the glue that holds the Old Testament and the New Testament together. It's found in John 3, 16. For God loved this world so much that he gave his only one son so that everyone who believes in him would not be lost, would not perish, but would have eternal everlasting life. That is the God that loves you so much he thought you were worth saving. He sent his son. That ought to encourage you. It ought to encourage you when you realize he is the lifter of your life. He's the lifter of your soul. All of my scriptures are the songs that they sing. You, O oh Lord, are a shield for me, my glory, and the one who lifts up my head. You, O oh Lord, are a shield for me when somebody's attacking you, when darts are coming against you, when arrows are coming against you, when soldiers are lining up against you, when there seems to be an enemy on every hand, you need to remember this verse. Oh, Lord, you are a shield for me. You are protecting me. You are the glory, my glory, and the one who lifts up my head, who lifts up my soul, who lifts me up so that I can make it through the storm. Lord, you are the lifter of my life. Somebody shout hallelujah. You can encourage yourself when you know he is the one that supplies everything you need as we go through life. There are storms. There are challenges. There are problems. There are times that we walk in lack. There are times we feel like we don't have enough to get through. But the Bible says, In Philippians 4, my God will use his glorious riches to give you everything you need. Everything you need. Everything you need. You miss that. You think you have lack in this area. You think you have lack in this area. You feel like there's lack over here or lack over there. Somebody told you a long time ago you weren't good looking enough. You weren't pretty enough. Your skin was the wrong color. You were the wrong sex. You weren't this or you weren't that or you were born on the wrong side out of the tracks I need to tell you he will give you everything that you need he will do that through Christ Jesus his son he supplies everything you need you want to encourage yourself realize that you are no longer a slave to sin if I could sing I would sing you are no longer a slave to your sins, to your addictions, to your bondages, to your past. Oh, you didn't hear me. I said you are no longer a slave to your past. You are no longer a a slave to your addictions. You no longer are a slave to whatever has kept you in bondage for too long. Psalm 27, the Lord is my light and he is my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life, the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? You don't have to be afraid. God is on your side. And the Bible says, if God be for us, who can be against us? Freedom is not free. Reconciliation is necessary. Come on, somebody. Endurance is a must. But I need to tell you, if you will encourage yourself in the Lord, you will get through any storm, any doubt, any fear, any challenge, any problem. Because the Lord is on your side. 
you can encourage yourself because has, God has given you the authority. He has given you the right. He has given you the power. He has given you the word in his word to speak to your mountains, to talk to your mountains, to talk to your situations, to tell your mountains to move, to get out of your way, and to be cast into the sea. God has told you that you can speak to the mountains. He said in Mark 11, for assuredly, for sure, I say to you, whoever says, look at somebody and say, you're a whoever. Whoever says to the mountain, to their mountain, be removed and be cast into the sea. Whoever does that and does not doubt in his heart but believes those things that he says, it shall be done for him. They will move. He will have whatever he says, whatever he says, whatever he says. Your Bible says life and death is in the power of your tongue. Speak to your mountain. Speak to your sickness. Speak to your lack. Speak to the disease. Speak to the broken relationship. Speak to it and say, be moved. And it will have to do whatever you say. How many know your life follows your words? You want to be encouraged? You want to encourage yourself? Let God write your story. Starting right now. Maybe from the beginning up till now. It's not what you wanted. Maybe there's pain in your past, trouble in your past, dysfunction, junction in your past. But Hebrews 12, 1 says, since. See, to understand Hebrews 12, you have to read Hebrews 11. Read it today. I don't have time to go there today. But if you read Hebrews 11, you can understand chapter 12. Because in Hebrews chapter 11, we read about Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Moses. We read about the sons of God. We read about the warriors. We read about those that were a threat to the devil. We read about those and some of those did not receive the promise. Come on, somebody. But they are witnesses to his power. They are witnesses to his glory. They are witnesses to his promise. They are witnesses to our future. So since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, it's always good to have a witness, especially when somebody calls you a liar. It's always good to have somebody that's on your side. It's always good to have somebody that says, that's not the way it was. I was there. So since we have such a great cloud of witnesses, because we do, let us, this is your part now. Let us lay aside most. Oh, did I miss that? Let us lay aside every weight, every burden, every stronghold, every bling bling, every distraction, and the sin. Mm. Olivia could have preached this one, couldn't she? Let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us. See, the devil's got traps set for you. If you've ever been 
down that hall past my office going out that door. On the wall, there is a military tank with an arm that goes up and comes down. And it is a bridge building tank. And the tank goes to the edge of a body of water. And it will stretch out so vehicles, tanks, and Humvees, and military transports can go across that bridge that is sustained and suspended because of the tank. A number of years ago, I was at Pastor Jensen's, Jensen Franklin's church. At the end of the service, I was standing on the platform, and a man came up to me, and he said, the Lord just spoke to me and said that the devil has set traps for you. Tank traps. Because you are a tank. And when he said that, it didn't compute. And I listened and I thought, no, he's wrong. This guy has missed it. He has lost his mind. And there was more in the prophecy, but as I thought about it, I said, a tank is a destroyer. A tank is a piece of equipment that destroys the enemy. It is one of the biggest pieces of equipment. It is one of the strongest pieces of equipment. So a few days, I, I could not reconcile that. A few days later, I was invited to go to Anniston Army Depot, a military base outside Anniston, Alabama. And one of the ladies in our church at that time was in charge of 300 employees at that bank, at that base. She was a specialist. And so she had started a Friday morning Bible study. And she had about 50 people that would come of the 300 that were in her employment or under her leadership. And so I went and I spoke to those people, 50, 60 people on that Friday morning. And when I got through, she showed me around and showed me what she did. And then she brought me a folder, an envelope, and when I pulled it out, she said, this is for you. And I pulled it out, and it was a bridge-building tank. It's the one that's on that wall. And all of a sudden, it made sense. I said, well, I'm a bridge-builder. I'm not a destroyer. I'm a bridge-builder. And so when you go by and you see that on that wall, it represents the fact that God has used me to build bridges and to connect people from all walks of life to him, to one another. So we have to lay aside those things that ensnare us or those things that trap us. And he said, let us run with endurance. Let us run with patience the race that is before us. We are in a race. And we have to look to Jesus. Because he is the author and the finisher of our faith. Look at your neighbor and say, encourage yourself. When David had come back from battle and he found, he got to been to Ziklag. When he came back and the enemies had destroyed his everything, the village, destroyed the town, destroyed their, their dwelling places, taken all the women and children and all their belongings and left. And they had burned it all. Those men with him were discouraged. As a matter of fact, it got so bad, they began to pick up rocks to stone David. David, the giant killer. David, the warrior. David, the one whom they set about. 
had killed his tens of thousands. Saul killed his thousands, but David killed his tens of thousands. And they sang about that. They were ready to kill David. And the Bible says he encouraged himself in the Lord. When all of your friends turn on you, when those closest to you turn against you, when those that have been speaking into your life and you've been speaking into their life turn against you and turn on you and they're ready to put you to death, you may have to encourage your own self. David began to encourage himself. And I, began, I believe that he began to say to himself, Self, you are a warrior. You are anointed of God. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Don't look at their faces. Look up, lift up your eyes because your redemption draws nigh. I begin those, I, I believe those kind of scriptures begin to run through his mind. I believe those are the things that he began to think about. And as he encouraged himself, the anointing of the Lord came upon him. And I believe those warriors that had been with him, that had watched him, that had seen him in action as a warrior, who had rocks and stones in their hands, some of them ready to throw it at him and to stone him, I believe they saw the anointing come on David. I believe they saw the difference. I believe they saw the moment that he went from discouragement and disappointment and fear to, hey, I'm back. Back up, devil. And I believe that those warriors begin to put down their stones. I believe they begin to drop them and say, we didn't mean it, David. We're on your side. We're with you. What, what can I do to help you? What's next? Where can we? I believe they begin to change. And I want you to understand when you encourage yourself, the enemy knows that you've encouraged yourself. When you encourage yourself, I believe your enemies around you, they recognize the anointing. They recognize there's something different about you. They recognize that the power of the Holy Ghost is on you. They recognize you've got a new song in your mouth, even praise unto the Lord. Come on, somebody. I want you to know you are free. Freedom is not free. Reconciliation is necessary. Endurance is a must. And you might have to encourage yourself. But if you will encourage yourself, you will overcome. You will conquer. You will drive back the enemy. You will be victorious. You will walk in healing. You will walk in deliverance. You will walk in freedom. You will walk in increase. Somebody shout, I'm free, I'm free, I'm free, I'm free, I'm free, I'm free. Come on, get up on your feet and begin to shout, I'm free, I'm free in the Holy Ghost, I'm free in my finances, I'm free in my body, I'm healed, I'm healed, I'm free right now, I'm free in my spirit, hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Come on, lift up holy hands and shout it. I'm free, I'm free, I'm free, I'm free. I'm free. talk about the generations 
We could talk about the diversity in this house. We could talk about the last 20 years, the last 40 years or longer if you're older in this country and the changes that have taken place. But I want to draw your attention to the Old Testament Daniel and the New Testament book, Revelation. And I want you to understand that we are right on schedule. We are right on time. And I want to tell you today, you don't need to worry about what you see. You don't need to worry about what you hear. You don't need to worry about the circumstances. You don't need to worry about the news. You don't need to be troubled about what you might hear or see in the country, in the culture. All you need to do is be the warrior God called you to be. Be part of the remnant church that he has called you to be and raised us up to be. Lift up your head. Square your shoulders. Be a praiser. The Bible says, I would that men everywhere would lift up holy hands without wrath and without doubting. So let's do that right now. And as you begin to do that and open your mouth and praise him and worship him, I declare and decree to you that the spirit of the living God is going to fall upon you. It is going to rest upon you. He is going to touch some of you from your head to your toe. He is going to fill your spirit out of your belly shall flow rivers of living water. I want you to begin to pray in the Holy Ghost. I want you to begin to praise Him in the Holy Ghost. I want you to thank Him for who He is and what He's doing in you. And then open your spirit, man, to be sensitive to Him and to be used by God in the moments ahead. Because we are going to lead some folks to freedom. We are going to help people get delivered and set free. God's going to use you. Come on, lift up your voice. Lift up your hands. Begin to praise Him. Begin to thank Him. 